from Connecticut. I'm Erica Ducey, and this is a Vine Pair podcast conversation. We're bringing you these conversations between our regular podcast episodes to give you a bigger picture uh, about how the COVID-19 pandemic is impacting all parts of the business, as well as to provide a bit of hope and a path forward for all of us. Today, I'm talking with Brian Rosen, president and founder of the sales and marketing firm BevStrat, and that is essentially works as a marketing and sales arm for small beverage alcohol brands. He'll tell us a bit more about that, uh, but a bit about Brian. He's worked in the drinks industry for 30 years. He was CEO of the nation's largest retail store, Sam's Wine and Spirits. Then he went on to become a partner at PricewaterhouseCoopers in the adult beverage practice and went on to be a consultant in trade and marketing for Anheuser-Busch. Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, you know, I want to get in a, a, a kind of a description of what BevStrat does, because I think we have a lot of trade listeners as well as a lot of uh, consumer listeners who may not be familiar with the company. So can you tell me a little bit about what the company does and also how it's been impacted since COVID hit? Sure. Well, BevStrat was basically formed under the auspice of the small brand is has a challenging road to success. Um, if you look at the 40 or so thousand brands that are registered in the USA, only 500 of them really account for a majority of the SKU velocity or what we call comfort brands or commodity brands. And people might have heard about them lately because that's all that's being sold at off-premise right now. People are going for comfort. And so we saw this need that said, if the top 500 brands are really killing it, then who's taking care of the other 30,000, 40,000 that aren't? And so we built a business around that in, in BevStrat. Um, having been a retailer and a consultant at PwC and a, and a, and a leader at Anheuser-Busch, et cetera, I know how challenging it is for small brands. I know that, however, small brands are the backbone of any drink menu, any liquor store set of selection, uh, any online ordering app, all of those things. Um, so... With that, BevStrat was formed, and uh, we've been marketing and selling and providing boots on the ground for, for brands for nearly half a decade and um, do it all over the country with, um, with, it, with salespeople, which is really what brands need. They need attention. Mm-hmm. Now, to the second part of your question, which is how are we affected by COVID? Well, <laughs> besides doing this podcast from my home office, um, you know, we've had to furlough some employees. Um, half the market is shut down in bars and restaurants and on-premise. So uh, we're affected. Um, we are obviously pivoting and, and, and playing to our strengths and hoping that there is an end to this, a uh, safe end to this uh, sooner than later. Mm-hmm. And uh, before we dive in a little bit to uh, some of your tips, I want to talk to you just about that initial point you brought up about the comfort brands and that those sort of top 500 SKUs. Tell me a little bit, why, why are they dominating the market right now? Well, let's play the scenario out. If you're in a state that has liquor stores open, which are wine shops or mass merch or convenient uh, stores, you're deemed essential retail or essential activities. Some of these stores, for instance, in Colorado and some in New York and some in California and Florida, they're letting you go to the store, but not go in the store. So when you can't go in the store, you're going to default organically to what you know. Maybe it's Tito's, maybe it's Kendall Jackson Chardonnay, maybe it's Estancia, Santa Margarita, maybe it's Budweiser, 
or some other really popular craft beer like Goose Island. But it's not going to be the backbone of the drinks industry. It's not going to be some obscure tequila that you that you love and you would buy if you were on the shelf because you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And it's not going to be it's not going to be a brand on a salesperson's recommendation because you can't interact with the salesperson. So for those reasons, people are defaulting to comfort brands, to brands that what they know. Big distributors, Southern, for instance, Southern Wine and Spirits, which is the nation's largest, had a 33% increase in the month of March, mm-hmm. only and solely on the backs of commodity brands. So at this moment, brand recognition is really more important than any other thing. 100%. So, I, you know, working with small brands as you do, uh, what what are some of your tips to a small brand owner who might be listening today? How can they quickly adapt to reach new audiences to sort of fill that discovery gap? Well, look, it's the tools that were available to us before from a marketing and sales standpoint are still available to us now. You know, the use of social media, the use of a good old fashioned call to an account to remind them your brand is still available. All of those things are still there. From a pivoting standpoint, I would look for I would look for brands to really go to their website and mine the data. Who has asked for information on their um, uh, kind of about us page? Who has liked their photos on Instagram, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. And speak to those accounts directly. Try and draw sales from the poll aspect meaning pulling the brand down through the three-tier system instead of the push aspect, which is solely getting the brand on the shelves of a store. Mm -hmm. And what would you recommend? So, uh, you know, I know that uh, one of the value props of your company is having, you know, boots on the ground, getting to to those real retail accounts and, you know, on-premise accounts, which, you know, obviously are not in play right now. But is, is that what your team is doing? Are they making those calls trying to get shelf space at liquor stores. Um, and for people who don't work with you, are you, do you suggest that they're making those calls themselves? Well, back, so it's a lot to unpack there. Um, our teams are still on the ground in the field. We're legal and safe and healthy. So we're still operating in California and New York and Jersey and, and Illinois and Colorado and um, Florida. Uh, we, we are still out there. We're calling on off-premise. We're trying to tell a different kind of story. And this is would be germane to your listeners as well as to small brands. Tell the story of the financial impact of what's happening right now. If you're buying a bottle of Tito's vodka from a, from a distributor, you're paying $14.50 roughly for it. And you're selling it for $14.99. So you're making 50 cents a bottle. When you're buying a craft spirit, you're not as price sensitive, the consumer, and there's not as much downward pressure on the price. So, so what does that mean? That means if you can get to a buyer, you can convince them to say, hey, you sell one bottle of our brand, it's the equivalent of selling six bottles of Tito's from a profit dollar standpoint. Mm. Tell, tell that financial story. Everyone right now is looking for revenue and everyone right now is looking for net income, which is your revenue minus all your expenses would be your net income. If you can raise the revenue, the gross profit dollars for better brands, more craft brands, more boutique brands, then you can convince the account, you can tell the story that a craft brand matters, a smaller brand matters. It's not going to be in the papers every single week with pri- <clears throat> with pricing issues and pricing pressure. You can sell it, you can buy it for six and sell it for 12. Mm-hmm. 
And that's a really good convincing argument when everyone is looking for net income dollars right now. Right, right. And speaking speaking of distribution, since your teams are out there in the marketplace and you know working in multiple states, I've heard uh, in some states of liquor store shelves being empty um, and there being some sort of you know um, issues with um, deliveries and, and distribution um, you know really taking place. Have you seen that happening? Yeah, I mean it's it's the toilet paper syndrome, mm-hmm. right? Every everyone's clamoring over the same items, the same five hundred items, which in a small liquor store or uh, you know big box chain is really you know all the name brands you can you can think of are going to be are going to stock out. People are hoarding, people are overbuying, especially in the beginning of the stay at home order. Mm-hmm. People, you don't you don't know how it's going to last. You've never been through it before, and you don't know what it means. So there's a lot of fear buying. And a lot of buying, not out of necessity, but out of confusion and hysteria. Mm-hmm. So uh, absolutely. Now you take the increased demand, you take the lack of bars and restaurants to go to, and then you take the fact that distributors are also furloughing labor, drivers, warehouse folks. So that take that into account and then take into account that the distillers and the wineries and the breweries, et cetera, are fur- furloughing people as well. Or practicing social distancing, which slows down their production. So if you look all up and down the three tier, everyone is affected, everyone. And the one who feels the effect immediately is going to be that consumer that's looking for a brand on the shelf. Yeah. And thinking a little bit about retail. So you know, eventually this off-premise sort of surge may slow down. Um, and what do you what do you think is next as we're looking as we're looking maybe three you know six weeks to a couple months down the road, uh, and restaurants start to reopen? What do you think uh, the landscape will look like for the drinks business at that time? Well, that's a great question, and that's really that you know that million dollar question. Um, we have at Bevstrat and me specifically have really the good fortune of sitting on a lot of industry calls um, where this is discussed. Um, being able to be part of WSWA, the Wine and Spirit uh, Wholesalers of America, and being, um, I guess, present on industry calls where these decisions are talked about and made. Um, this is what we think will happen. First, with the on-premise community. I do believe on-premise will open it up. It'll open back up and it may not be May 1st and it may not be mid-May, but it has to open up just for the sheer fact that the hospitality industry is one of the largest employers in America. That's really important. It's got to open up. Now, what I do think will happen is I think it will open up at a 50% occupancy for the existing space. So mm-hmm. where once you could have 120 people eating dinner, you can have 60. So what's that going to do? Well, it will reopen the restaurant and we'll practice some sort of social distancing, but it will cut down by half roughly consumption and frankly eating and the average check and all of those things, turns per night, all the things that restaurants measure for success. Um, that is going to happen. Restaurants are going to open up and they're going to open up at half capacity, half occupancy. So with that, my feeling is the mixology programs at bars and restaurants are going to need to make more money because they've got less food being turned out by the kitchen. When you've got less food being turned out in the kitchen and the beverage part of a check is historically the majority piece of the check from a profit standpoint, they're going to be looking at 
new, interesting, and crafty brands to put on their mixology program. That is what I feel for off for on-prem. For off-premise, it's a little bit of a different game. American consumers historically and for a long period of time have been using spirits, wine, and beer to celebrate their individuality. I don't drink what you drink. I drink what I drink is the mantra. I don't drink what everyone consumes. I found this special something from this special distillery in this special area. And so all of that individual nature of purchasing is now gone. All of that ability, all of that ability to be new and different is gone. So when the market does open back up and people can shop at their leisure and shop easily, they are going to really try and express themselves through their purchases. And so I think it's a huge opportunity in May, in June, to be an independent brand. Mm -hmm. I think if you go into an account and you tell this story about what the consumer behavior is likely to be coming out, then you'll find yourself on the shelf of your favorite retailer or the retailer of choice. Because again, human nature is to be individual. If we're all drinking Tito's, then we're all drinking the same. Yeah. And I, and I think that's the look going forward. I mean, I think that's fascinating. And, you know, if, if, if that is the case and we have uh, consumers really looking towards small brands, um, I mean, I think that will be, you know, that, that already has been sort of a tendency in the past, but I do agree that I think that it could really, um, you know, ramp up in importance. And, and when that does happen, I just hope that the small brands will still be around and still be making product because, you know, with an interruption of several months of being able to uh, produce their product and sell their product, I mean, you know, they're probably running through a significant amount of capital. Like, what what do you see as the landscape for these small brands? Will it be a struggle for them to survive this business interruption? Well, I, you know, you, you never want to uh, see anyone go through financial hardship, especially people that have outlaid a ton of capital um, for their for their business. Um, one of the things that you and I talked a little bit about earlier is that the beverage business is very front-loaded, um, front-loaded in compliance, front-loaded in labels, bottles, liquid, labor, marketing, salespeople, distribution. Very, very heavy before you in front-load before you sell your first bottle of whatever. So that's the problem. If you came to market and you count on every month as revenue to support the month prior, you're out, as of today, you're out about a month and maybe you're going to be out two months of revenue. Those expenses don't stop and they don't get, they, they may get held off or pushed down the road, but they're still there. And that's, that's the fear that I have, that either people that have come to market in the last six months or a year are really month to month where their sales need to compensate for their, for their money owed mm-hmm. or your historical brand that was launching something new this year or this or the first or the second quarter of the year, which is right now is traditionally the part where you start to prepare your brand for the summer selling season, or you start to launch marketing or push or pull programs. That's all over now. Now to your point, brands will go out of business. And I, uh, anyone who follows me on LinkedIn knows I'm not a Debbie Downer at all or Instagram. I'm just a truth teller. Brands will go out of business, but the good thing about the beverage business is like the restaurant business. Shuttered restaurants 
generally are filled with new restaurants. Mm -hmm. Shuttered distilleries are generally filled with new distilleries. Same space, different brand. And that's just, that is just how it goes. If you walk up and down New York, the streets of New York, you're going to see a lot of closed restaurants and they're going to open up as something else. So it's just, this is almost like a little bit of a cleansing of the beverage space where if you weren't, if you weren't making it or hand to mouth pre COVID there's, it just provides an opportunity for a new, exciting entrepreneurial brand to come forward now. Mm -hmm. So we may see some silver linings out of this. Well, we, we, it depends on what side of the statement you're on. You know, the people that are going out of business, there is no silver lining. It's totally unfortunate, but the people that are trying to get into business or to get into the game um, now has an opportunity and probably has that opportunity at, at a discounted valuation. Yeah. And I mean, I hope that that I hope that there's, you know, this period of innovation coming out of this, like you say, that there's the kind of, you know, some some companies, unfortunately, will fall to the wayside. But uh, hopefully there will be, you know, others waiting in the wings to to be able to grow. Um, I mean, do you see that the uh, the landscape for, you know, capital or investment, you know, down the road? Um, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, the drinks space being sort of a recession proof uh, type business, a solid investment to um, put your money into. Uh, what would you what would you say? Is it is it is it still that solid investment? And and how might the um, search for capital or the access to capital be changing for the foreseeable future? Sure. Well, it really again, it, it, a lot of times when you answer a question, I answer it from my lens. And my lens, my lens is is the owner of Bevstrad and and what you know the owner of investbev.com, which is our investment arm, um, is very very bullish. It's very yeah. There's going to be a ton of opportunity for people with capital on the sidelines. Historically, the adult beverage space is recession proof. Historically, um, people want to be in it. It's a sexy business. It's a fun business, like restaurants are. Uh, restaurants generally don't have a ton of trouble getting investors. People want a place to hang their hat. There's something very sexy about saying this is my vodka or my Chardonnay or my IPA. Um, that's not going to change. What's going to change is where the where the capital goes and what the valuation is of the businesses that it gets invested in. If, for instance, as we talked about earlier on the podcast, a lot of these brands are going to be cash strapped. They're going to be looking for either cash to support the brand, cash to grow the brand, or or wanting to give up the brand entirely. So if you have capital on the sidelines, great opportunity to pick up a brand that perhaps is currently undervalued based on COVID mm-hmm. or under capital or undercapitalized based on COVID. If you're a brand, it's a good opportunity to get with a strategic and bolster your foundation. So from my lens, I think this is a great time um, to lend support, expertise, marketing, and, and, and growth capital. Um, if you're a brand, it's a good time to perhaps shore up the foundation at the cost of equity. Mm-hmm. But, but make no mistake, um, these are hard times for everyone. And you know, every goodbye starts with a hello kind of thing. Right, right. I think that's a song, actually. But <laughs> that's the reality. You know, brands are going to go and brands are going to come back and, and, and brands are going to survive and brands aren't. And that's just, that's just the, the life cycle of the adult beverage business. Right. And 
taking a look just a little bit farther as, as we wrap up, I mean, I know you have a, a you know deep experience looking in all parts of the beverage industry, and I think you're pretty well positioned to kind of give us an outlook over the next 18 months. What do you think the landscape is going to look like? That's a great question. And again, it's, it's, uh, it's really kind of about, um, you know, what do I know now and, and what don't I know tomorrow? Um, you know, what I know now is human nature will dictate that people are still going to, are going to want to go out and they're going to want to interact with others and celebrate life through libation. That's not going to change. What's going to change, however, is, is the consumer is going to, I believe, leave home left, less. They may get back to normal at some period down the road, but this is a real scary time with a lot of unknowns. And I'm not a medical person nor expert, but again, like the regular flu shot, which I get every year, there needs to be a vaccine in some way. I don't think that people will be 100% comfortable being in mass situations together without a vaccine. Now, that the, the question as it was asked is for the beverage industry. Well, it's all related. So if you're not going to big sporting events where tons of people are congregating, then beer sales are going to go down at that event. If you're not going to a public park together to watch a concert, the same. Mm-hmm. If you're not going, if you're not going to the beach and buying an RTD or a grab and go or a single serve wine cooler, what have you, that's all going to change because you don't know what the future looks like. So, from my perspective, brands that are sessionable for home use, brands that are non-complex, brands that are that tell their own story through their labeling and marketing are brands that have the best chance over the next six to 18 months to be successful. Because until Americans and the world, frankly, gets a real good handle on what is happening now and how to prevent it from happening in the future, people, while they still, be, they still may be able to be let out into the open, will not be as out there as they were pre-COVID. So the drinks business needs to create sessionable home drinking, home mixology, brands that are to be consumed and celebrated at home. And so that's actually one of those opportunities that that we've discussed, Um, maybe a silver lining in that there could potentially be the new models, new business models, new, you know, home mixology brands that uh, kind of can emerge out of this. Um, I would like to think that there will be some silver linings because it seems like a lot of doom and gloom these days. Um, but I think one last question, uh, since we should leave on on somewhat of a, a happier note, uh, what are you drinking? What is getting you through these days? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, and thank you. And, and look, I, I'm not, by no means, like I said earlier, I'm not a Debbie Downer. Um, I'm a realist. And um, this is horrible times for people are losing jobs and, and businesses are shuttered and and uh, people are dying. I mean, I guess that's the big one. People are dying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't want to forget that. But um, it's also a little bit of a rebirth and a, and a kind of a of a of a thinning of the herd in the adult beverage business for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Brands that were not meant to be there are not going to be there, and, and the strong will survive. A little Darwin in the beverage business, right? Um, what I what I'm drinking is a ton of rosé, a ton of rosé. Really? Oh yeah. Um, nice. Not at this exact moment, but shortly, <laughs> and a ton of rosé, uh, provincial rosé, so French rosé, um, a little bit of California, and I'm drinking a lot of RTD. There's a great movement pre-COVID and hopefully post of canned 
gin tonic, canned vodka soda um, from our clients are making great brands that are really grab and go. Mm -hmm. Because again, in, in this new world, simple is better and easier is easier. So um, from our perspective at the fam at the house here, we are, we are enjoying our rosé all likely too much. And um, then RTDs as well. Um, no one, because we're homebound, we're not going through the effort of getting ice, getting fresh lime, getting gin, getting tonic separately, putting them in a shaker and, you know, all of that. Um, it's an open and pour. And that's, I think, what majority of people are gravitating towards now uh, amidst the stay at home order. Yeah, definitely. Uh, convenience, I think, is key. And uh, all of the craft brands, I, I think there are so many interesting products coming to the forefront. And hopefully we just see that continue. So thank you so much for making time to talk with us this afternoon. Um, and uh, we will look forward to seeing everything that you guys are doing at BevStrat and follow you on LinkedIn so that we can continue this conversation online. Thanks so much for making time. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vine Pair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.